Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and I'm excited today. We are having an amazing show. I'm going to bring Jay Logan on right away. Hey, Jay, how are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, Gail. I'm out here in the wonderful uh, San Francisco Bay Area, and um, we're having uh, some cool-down weather, but it's kind of nice out here. Um, So I'm doing great. Well, I'm really excited today. We are having Tommy Silverman on. Uh, formerly CEO, well, still CEO of Tommy Boy Records, one of the most famous record labels worldwide, and one of the most famous uh, music executives worldwide as well for many years, well-respected. Um, the other person we're having on is Angot Baines today, really excited, world-renowned mixer, engineer, and studio owner of Crosby Collective Studio here in New York, working with labels from Sony to Warner, you name it. So this is a special music presentation. Many of you wanted to know about the music industry, how to get into the music industry, and so forth. So, Jay, will you start off with bringing us the news? Sure. Um, uh, Some European artists have been complaining, Gil, about uh, YouTube having low, low, low royalty rates. And um, also they're kind of strong-arming a lot of the uh, independent labels, to accept this, uh, these rates. Uh, these rates have um, pretty much uh, lower than Spotify, lower than any of the other uh, music uh, online companies that, you know, that pays the musicians. So uh, Billy Braggs and other indie musicians, they're blasting the Utah YouTube rates, and they're also um, they're trying to get a commission uh, to negotiate with uh, YouTube to, you know, get those rates a little bit more. You know, musicians work real hard out there, and they want to be paid like everybody else, fairly, you know, for the. You know, and, and, I, and I, I have to agree with it because YouTube has been free for many years. The unfortunate thing about this whole thing is that we are in a situation where the artists are not getting paid enough as it is. Independent labels, everyone is looking to you know, cash in because things are going up higher in price and so forth. But here's the thing. We don't have to spend the cost on manufacturing for CDs. You know what I mean? So what's taking the place of CDs now are the streaming companies like Pandora, you know, Spotify, Deezer out of France, all of those companies. So, you know, and, of course, you know, we have 360 deals in different ways. If you don't know what a 360 deal is, you will find up coming up. So, um, you know, what is our next piece of news, Jay? Oh, I saw a little piece of uh, technology. We always do a little technology thing. And uh, Asus has a, a, new, a new book. Uh, it's, uh, it's called the Asus Chief. And it's kind of the same, uh, it weighs the same as the uh, iPad, um, the new iPad Lite uh, tablet. And uh, it's coming out, and it has Windows 8. And it's going to be, I don't know how much it's going to be, but it's called a Transformer book, and it has a very sharp, sharp screen, really thin, and I want one. <laughs> so, you know, keep a look out for this Asus Transformer book. This is T300. Wow. 
Well, you know, I think that's really cool, and I'm sticking with the Microsoft Surface. <laughs> I, I figured that you would. Um, um, we'll see what happens. You know, this thing is uh, they won't give a lot of information, but this thing is so light, and it also um, has a built-in keyboard, and it's really, really light. So we'll see what happens. So with this uh, new technology that will be from AC. Well, I, I'm, I'm absolutely excited, you know, really excited. And um, I know we have another piece of news, and then we're going to call in and bring our guests on, Mr. Silverman. I am so excited about this. So what is our third piece of information today, Mr. Logan? Well, I got this little piece from um, the HuffingtonPost.com. Uh, the death of uh, creativity in the classroom. I would like to know what you think about that. You know, um, basically, you know, they do all these SAT tests and MAP tests in our uh, national classrooms, and, you know, you just fill in, scratch in the dot, you know. And a lot of the kids seem to get bored, you know. It's like, you know, they could think of something better to do. So they're not really taking these tests with the proper enthusiasm. And some of the naysayers say that maybe you could, you know, instead of doing these um, these tests where you take the, you know, your pencil and you scratch in the dots, you can be more creative and get, do more of a creative test than the base everything on data. So, you know, so should you base things on data or should you base things on true real-life experience and let the kids be, test their creativity opposed to testing, uh, how they're testing with these, uh, new, these tests? Well, you know what I thought. Well, my thoughts on this, Jay, is that we need to blend the integrate both the traditional and the technology in the classrooms. Because when you take away the creativity of allowing kids to think for themselves, then it doesn't allow for a, a meld of both. You know, uh, one of the things, you know, I love to do is meditate. And, you know, we've had people from the Art of Living on here. And what they found is that kids who meditate do very well in academics. So we've got to bring the we've got to bring the hands on back again. Let people draw and do things like that. But you know, Jay, I think we'll get to this at the end of the. Show. Guess who we have on our show? We have Mister Tommy Silverman, who I'm excited. Hello, Tommy. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? We're fine, Tommy. This is Gail, and you know we see each other, meet him every year, and it's. My co-host, Mr. Jay Logan. Mr. Logan, please, Tommy Silverman. Hi, Jay. Hi. How are you doing, Mr. Silverman? It's an honor to have you on our show. Great to be here. Well, thank you for uh, being with us today, Tommy. And, Tommy, before we get started, we asked that, you know, you answer each question with not too much info so that we don't give everything away, and our audience has the opportunity to hear all of your expertise. Is that okay, sir? I'll try. <laughs> well, so, Tommy, we're going to start, uh, you know, uh, something very basic that many people don't know. A lot of people know about Tommy Boy Records, but they don't know that Mr. Tommy Silverman started it. So the question I had with you is, you know, years ago it was Tommy Boy Records, and now you have your new venture. You've, you've had so many amazing ventures over the years. And you have the new music seminar, Artist Verge on the Pro Artist on the Verge Project, A2IM. I mean, the list just goes on. And what we'd love to know is what you think the difference between the music industry was then 
and along your journey and how it functions now? Well, back when I started Tommy Boy, do you mean? Yeah, like, you know, when you started Tommy Boy, uh, Tommy, and then you continued on to create just new companies that were innovative along the way to where you are now with New Music Seminar, A2IM, you just seem to know the need for the industry. And we would like to know, like, through your journey of seeming to be able to see the innovation as you go along, how do you think that, what do you think the difference is between when you started in the music industry with Tommy Boy Records now and where the music industry functions now? What is your take on that? Wow, it's night and day. I mean, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a musical revolution right now. Uh, in 1981, it was a musical revolution. Um, now, um, and the technology that was breaking out in those days was studio technology. Now, the technology is consumer technology with the internet and you know um, sh sharing streaming files or downloading files these things have um, rocked the industry to its core and shifted the um, <clears throat> the financial model of the music business from what it was but there have been plenty of us I mean there's so many changes that's a question that has a five-hour answer because radio has changed it's consolidated Music labels have consolidated and they've changed. Um, the technology has changed. The sound of, of music has changed. I mean, we're talking about when I started, hip-hop wasn't called hip-hop yet. It was, brand, it was a brand-new thing. You know, there were maybe only like five or six rap records out before we started Tommy Boy. <clears throat> and I started the New Music Seminar with some friends in 1980, even a year before I started Tommy Boy. And, uh, you know, we... At that time, DJ music was getting to be a big thing. It had only really started in the, you know, the mid '70s. Uh, the 12-inch record had only been invented in 1975. So by 1978 and 79, disco and dance music was becoming a business for the first time. So it's interesting to see what's happened with that, what's happened with hip hop, you know. And those are the last two big genres that still exist that are, uh, you know that have happened since hip-hop started in the early 80s or the late 70s there really has been no other new genre you know that's a real genre and not a subgenre. and so that's an interesting thing um there's just so much it's really hard to say you know the portableization of music music used to have to be listened to in, in you know in one place and it became portable with the invention of the cassette you know, the CD and the recordability of music, first with WAV files and now with MP3s. You know, you're right, I don't want to give it all away. <laughs> well, Tommy, I have mm -hmm. some questions for you as well. Yes, Tommy, what sure. I wanted to know is, what I wanted to know, Tommy, is when did your love for music begin and was it already in your family's DNA? Actually, no. My mom, well, arts were. My dad's a writer. My mom is an artist. So, you know, they all were in the creative field, but not in music. And I was always exposed to music because my dad loved it. But uh, I uh, I really um, just got into it. I tried to play an instrument when I was a kid. I played, you know, different instruments, piano and guitar and violin earliest on. <laughs> took lessons and all that stuff. And then, um, you know, in... Later on, I got more into different genres of music, and I started becoming fanatical about records and you know listening to music and really getting into what I was into. And then when I went to college, I, I was the music director of the college radio station for three years. So I got involved that way. Um, 
and then, you know, this just happened. I couldn't figure, you know, I went to graduate school for environmental geology, but decided wow. that you know, music was calling me back. And so I left to come to New York and start a newsletter for DJs back in the late 70s. Very wow, wow, Tommy. That, that's very interesting. You know, mm-hmm. Tommy, speaking of being young in the music industry and asking you when you started, Tommy, how, how young people consume music today do you feel it's from our marketing machine directing them to consume music, or do you think this is a gradual course of events that happened as technology, you know, become more, came, became more innovative? So said another way, do you think that we direct, you know, as a marketing machine, do you think we tell our young people what to buy, or do you think that they just grew with the technology that was there and the marketing machine still directed them with that? I I don't I don't believe that at all. If that was the case, we'd all do much better. Our batting average would be much higher. Um, I don't think we make hits. I think, you know, hits uh, happen. And you know, I've been lucky and blessed enough to experience some huge records over my lifetime. And when they happen, you just have to stand back. Uh, you know, obviously, you, you you ride them like a you know a surfer riding a wave, but you don't make the wave. And whenever labels try and make the wave. They always fail. So I really, no matter how much money you spend, it has to be in the cards. I mean, there have been great examples, and you never hear about the failures, but there have been, you know, five and ten million dollar failures, multiple ones, you know, every year that you just don't hear about. Acts that, you know, are touted to be the next big thing, beautiful girl, great voice, you know, really musical, amazing songs, nothing happens. You know, and then some crackhead comes out and has a number one record. So it really has nothing to do with uh, the machine. I mean, sometimes one record might happen because it gets in a commercial or because it gets an exposure opportunity. But, you know, if that was the case, every artist that was ever winning American Idol or The Voice would be a a star today, and almost none of them have been. So that kind of also proves it. If there's ever a marketing machine, it's television. And with all of that TV marketing muscle, where's all the stars? Right. Tommy, in your estimation, how does an artist best build a brand in this new, uh, I say this new matrix industry of today's music? Um, Well, building a brand requires hits. I think, you know, normally you have to have a series of hits, but you also have to stand for something. And, you know, an artist with a big hit doesn't necessarily turn into a brand. Um, but if they do have a big hit, they get the attention of the public. And if their persona is something that people can relate to, then they can become a brand. But it usually requires them to know who they are and know who they want to be. And pretty much most of the artists that are, are have turned into brands really you know, stand for something. They stand out from everything else. So is that, is that to say that you? It's the same thing that you just said early, earlier. You can't make a brand. A brand has to be grassrooted. Is that basically what you're saying? With, That's true. Uh, we're good? That's true. Well, I mean, there's, there are examples, you know, of singers who aren't particularly songwriters like uh, Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey or stuff who are just amazing singers who, you know, somebody found the songs for them and, you know, they did sort of mold them into what they were, but I also think that 
if they didn't have that magic something inside, they wouldn't have risen to the heights that they rose to. Uh, you know, these people are, are special people. They have certain, um, let's just say, an innate connection that uh, that allows them to achieve the things that they achieve. But the branding piece is different because <clears throat> that has to do with consistency <clears throat> and managing <clears throat> the... Um, the impression uh, opportunities on television and touring with, you know, in live, the different opportunities that you take to maximize uh, the growth of, of your brand and make sure you don't do the wrong things that hurt your brand. So there are a lot of decisions that are made in the branding experience. Uh, it's, there's a little bit more analytics that really affect the outcome in branding than there is in Music per se. Music per se seems to be a more spiritual pursuit. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I tell you, this brings me to the next uh, question, Tommy. You know, do you think we're giving an artist a failed fair deal when so many companies, you know, are in the mix, earning more than the artist sometimes does from the music that they create or produce or, you know, um, you know, does like, you know, we have the publishing companies, we have the labels, we have the tech companies. We have online radio like Pandora, you know. I want to know, do you think they're getting a fair deal? Do you really think that we, get, you know, place a focus on them to make sure they're taken care of since without them none of this would exist? Well, I, I think about that all the time. Um, and at the New Music Seminar, I've done a lot of studies to find out uh, what's true and what's really not true. In fact, this year we're doing... Uh, a bunch of uh, movements about that, one about New Deals, and another one about, um, you know, um, the venture capitalists and bankers comparing their business models with music publishers and labels. But what we're going to find out is that, no, they're really not getting a good deal. Um, they're getting a great deal. Um, you have to think about the risk versus reward. Um, I mean, it's easy to complain, uh, but... For, if I look at who's getting a bad deal, it's the investor, which is the label. The label spends a lot of money and has a really tiny return on investment, and the label's taking a very high-risk investment. You know, labels have one hit out of 10 or 20, and they require a 10 to 20 times return on investment, and they're getting like a, a two to four time return on investment, which makes the business of investing in artists an unsustainable business, and if people stop investing in artists, artists stop breaking. And we've done some analytical uh, data mining and research that has uh, proven that there are only a couple of hundred artists that break through even on the very moderate level every year. And there are less than, out of those 200-some-odd artists, there's less than 10 that are doing it themselves, which we thought wasn't going to be the case. We thought the promise of the long tail in the Internet was going to increase the opportunities for artists to do it themselves, but it really hasn't been the case. Tommy, um, I'm very proud of you. Um, in the year 2000, you received a Hero Award from the Grammy Association, the NARIS, uh, National Academy of Recording Arts and Science. My first part of this question is, how exciting was that? And then when you finish with that question, do you feel that the music industry is a place that you would feel comfortable with your own children being involved in today's music industry? Those are two really separate questions. I mean, it's always nice to be acknowledged by your peers for 
things that you've done. Um, I got one from A2IM last year that was a really the Independent Label Association, you know, um, which was a really meaningful one. Whenever I, I don't get very many awards, and when I do, I you know I'm, I'm honored to receive them. Um, I really more, more care though about trying to make a difference in the world of music so that more artists can have an opportunity to uh, quit their day jobs and make a living in music mm-hmm. at any level. Wow. That, that's my concern, um, and that's my reward. Uh, the second part, what was the second question? Was a question. Uh, Do you feel the music industry is a place where you would feel comfortable with your own children being involved in today's industry? Well, one of my, one of my children is involved and is a singer in a band that's actually starting to break and really doing well and looks like it's going to blow up this year. So, um, And I try to talk her out of it being in the music business for a long time, but she really wanted to do it. So I can't really, um, I, so I can tell you from personal experience that uh, they're in there. Uh, it's a tough business to be in, and if you don't love music, you really shouldn't be in it because the love of music has to be its own reward and to be around music and musicians has to be um, ha- have enough value to make up for the lack of value that you can probably make in terms of the financial return from an investment in the music industry or living here. But <clears throat> let's hope there's a lot of people now in the new music business, which is about 65% smaller than the old music business. Those people who are coming into it are doing it for passion instead of for money. And I think for a while, a lot of people were in this business for the money, and they're not in it anymore, which I think is probably a good thing for the music business. Wow. That's a good answer. Good answer. Wow. So I'm excited about the new music seminar coming up. There's so many major topics that are talking about the whole transition of our business from a purchasing business, whether it's physical discs or downloads, to a streaming business. Um, It's going to change all the rules, and it's almost like the wild, wild west. We're starting again from scratch, and uh, it's going to be a great time for entrepreneurs, and in a few years it's going to be a great time for music again. so I'm pretty excited about it. It sounds exciting. It sounds really exciting. Tommy, um, you know, I heard you on Bloomberg a few days back speaking of Google's model, econ- you know, economy around attention and revenue models yeah. around attention. You know, and also you felt Pandora, Fire, Spotify are doing it right. Can you say a little bit more about that here? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Because I love what you said about economy around attention, and this is just where the music industry is going. What are your thoughts about that? So since we're not, since people are not buying units like they used to buy units, they're now buying subscriptions to things or they're watching things for free and seeing advertising, and that advertising is paying for it. Um, they're generating revenue in a lot of different ways than they used to generate revenue. It's all based on how much time they're listening to music, how they listen to music. Are they listening to a subscription service like Spotify, which returns the highest average revenue per user, ARPU, to artists and labels? Or are they you know, streaming music on YouTube where... There's just a share of advertising, which is a much smaller amount. Or are they listening to Pandora or Sirius that pay sound exchange, um, which generates some revenue too, 
but not as much revenue as subscription revenue generates um, for the for the artist community. So, you know, we have to understand that streaming is not all the same. You know, uh, but but there are some people who are passives that may not want to subscribe to something, but will just like to listen to something like SiriusXM because it's easier for them or whatever. They don't want to make any decisions. I think we're going to see a lot of new options and some changes in the existing services so they cater more toward a passive audience. And I predict a time when music will be built, music subscription will be built into all connected devices. So that's, that's what I think is going to happen now. There's three and a half million active individual cell phone subscriptions and uh, unique people in the world with cell phones, three and a half billion. So that's how big the audience could be. And in about uh, five years, that'll be you know five or six billion, and most of them with smartphones. And at that point, every, all of the music in the world can be in the pocket of almost everyone in the world, and that really changes the game for the music business. What age, which, what age group span sales the most downloads, would you say, in today's global uh, society globally? Well, when, it, when iTunes first started, downloads were young, you know, skewed much younger, and now they're skewing a, a lot more older as the young people are the early adopters and they're the ones who are going on Spotify or YouTube or getting music some other way. So that's you know that's the the big change. So always always the new the early adopters are always younger, and then it's just like Facebook when Facebook started it was all about high school kids and college kids, and in ten years it's a lot you know it's people in their fifties. It's a different crew looking for their friends from high school or whatever. Uh, so that <laughs> things change, uh, and things will change with serious you know with all of the different. Uh, users that are out there, Sirius, Pandora, Spotify, Rhapsody, all of these new companies are going to be changing the world. Apple is getting ready to get into it with the Beats deal. They'll be offering a subscription service. Google will probably, YouTube will be offering one this year. Google already has one. Um, there's tons of them out there already. And Deezer in Europe is really big, and they're coming to America this year. So there's uh, going to be tons of choices. RDO. You know, and and together last year there were 28 million music subscribers in the world. Uh, Spotify just announced they passed 10 million music subscribers alone, which is a pretty big increase from the last time, almost double. So um, I would see that number possibly will go to 40 million music subscribers this year, and that's pretty exciting. The real number we need to hit is about 180 to replace the <coughs> the loss of music sales. So mm -hmm. that's the goal. The short, the first goal. The second goal is a billion, and then four billion, and then we have a real different music business. There'll be way more artists making way more money <clears throat> than there are today. <clears throat> wow. Well, um, first of all, Tommy, um, we're running just uh, about two minutes over. If that's okay, we can have two more questions with you. One more. I have another call. I've got to jump on, so let's let's make it one more. Okay. So, what do you think about artists breaking into the U.S. market versus global markets? Because some people say, you know, if they're a U.S.-based artist, they should break into the global markets first and then bring it back into the U.S. What is your thoughts on that? 
Okay, we're we're having a movement just on that at the New Music Seminar called the Glo- about the globalization of the music business and what it means to artists and the business. <clears throat> you know, Psy, the Korean artist that broke all around the world, you know, in a world without YouTube would not have broken. We're going to see that happening more and more. The number one artist in America is Iggy Azalea, a white female rapper from New Zealand right now. So, you know, are these things that would happen? I, I think the barriers... Uh, from country to country are falling, so artists could break anywhere. Um, I don't think it's either or. I think when you put your music up on whether it be iTunes or or YouTube or or, or Spotify or Deezer, you're up in 100 to 200 countries in the second you put it in. So you never know where you're going to break. And I think it's great. Artists have more opportunity to find uh, their home. You know, um, one example that will never happen again is that. Uh, Example that was made fav- famous in the movie that won the uh, Academy Award last year, Sh- Searching for Sugarman, about um, mm-hmm. uh, a Detroit artist that didn't have success in the 70s in America, really didn't happen at all, but had a runaway hit in South Africa, and it was like one of the biggest records in South African history. And the guy never even knew he had a hit there, and it didn't break in any other countries except South Africa during the period of apartheid. So it's very interesting to see that that could never happen again because if something explodes in one place, it will move quickly uh, through the web um, and you know it won't be stopped at geopolitical boundaries. So what does that mean for music when music no longer um, has the limits that all of us do? They don't have to stop at customs. They don't need to have at passport control. You know, in one second, your music is everywhere in the world. What does that mean in terms of the impact it has on world events? I mean, there's so many things to talk about. <clears throat> so how music wow. flows. Shazam is another example. We have people coming from Shazam who will talk about how people use Shazam to identify what song they're hearing all around the world, and they have data on how a song gets listened to and uh, ID'd by people all around the world and how a record could spread from one market to another market. So we'll actually get some analytics on that at the New Music Seminar. Well, Tommy, we truly thank you for being here with us today. And would you tell people where they can register for the New Music Seminar that's coming up June 8th to June 10th in New York City? Yeah, you better do it today. Um, Only a couple more days left to register. It's uh, it's newmusicseminar.com. It's here in New York at the New Yorker Hotel starting on Sunday and going through Tuesday night. <clears throat> so the, it, it begins on Sunday afternoon, so it's the 8th, 9th, and 10th. Just go to www.newmusicseminar.com, and everything's right there. It'll tell you all about it. We have about Thank 180 so- speakers. It's crazy. <laughs> I know, and Tommy, we just really thank you. It is like a pleasure. I've known you for years, and it's just a pleasure to have you on the show and the difference that, you know, Jay and I really are proud of you, the difference that you've made in this industry and the difference you make with youth. And, you know, we'd love for you to come back on later in the year and share the great work that you do with youth with your wife. So um, thank you. Thank you. Are you, um, will I see you at the seminar? You know you will because I'm going to be covering your seminar for you. All right, my darling. Look forward to seeing yeah. you. Yeah. I look forward to seeing you, too. And we know you'll have on your customary outfit that you know I love. I don't know which one you're going to do this year, but I'm looking forward to I'm it. I'm working on it today. That's my big focus today is what to wear. <laughs> well, and, 
and send your and send your daughter my love. I will. I will. You'll see her. Okay. Take care, uh, Tommy. I don't want Sarah to get mad at me that I've kept you on too long. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good day. Okay. No problem. You too. Well, Jay, that was definitely amazing. Sure was, and just to have a legendary figure on the show is just wonderful. I mean, it, that was definitely. I learned so much, you know. You know, sixty. It's, it, the, the industry is only sixty-five percent of what it was before, and that's that's privileged information for people listening to listen to you. So, I mean, I just they're just fascinated. This is a great interview. I, I tell you, I, I'm just and and now we have another gentleman coming up that I'm excited about because he's working on our project and he's one of the biggest mixing and mastering engineers as far as I'm concerned globally. He does amazing work. He's very fanatical about how things get done. He knows he knows the industry well. You know, he's well respected. You know, and um, I'm just excited. So we're going to hold on before we bring him on. We'll bring him on in one minute. You know, um, I just want to finish up that piece, Jay, that we were talking about that was so cool, that you were talking about from the news. So can you bring us right back into that news, that third piece of news that you were sharing with us earlier? Sure. Um, it's back on the creativity. Uh, there's not a, crea- a lot of creativity now in today's classrooms, you know. A lot of the arts have been taken out, you know, sports, uh, I mean, it's even, you know, even the books, you know, so technology has taken some of the books out of the class, you know. So I know. I'm thinking that we need to get back to basics, you know. I, I, I like flipping through the pages, and I like reading the books. And I know people don't want to have all these books in their house. Well, when do you put all this stuff, you know? Homes are getting smaller. People don't have huge libraries no more. Libraries are closing. You have to go to the Internet. Should you believe everything that's on the Internet, or should you really start reading books and and learning the whole picture, seeing the whole picture of what reading uh, real books is really like, you know, because a lot of things they leave out. You know, even even if you listen to records, um, a lot of records didn't become digital. They didn't get transferred. A lot of artists didn't make it to the digital period. They did. They weren't able to transfer all the analog to digital. So books are very important. Creativity is very important. Um, oh, I, I, very I, I important agree with you. I agree with you, Jay. I mean, you know, my God, you know, it's it's one of the most important things. And I just feel that, you know, if we still have our students not focusing, so people like Angus Baines, people like Tommy, there won't be people out there like that anymore, you know. So without further ado, Jay, you know we've got to bring up our next guest, okay? Okay. Mr. Angus Baines, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Okay, we are so excited to have you on here. Uh, shall we call you Angus or shall we call you Baines? Which one works for you? Uh, Baines, Baines. I just always have gone by Baines, and everyone kind of knows me as Baines. So yeah, we could we could do that. It's a little so easier to pronounce too. Oh no problem. Well, Baines, thank you for taking the time to be with us. You know, thank you for having today. me. Oh, no problem. You know, and Baines, we're really excited because, you know, you've helped us work with our song, you know, for the the United Nations. And you know it's been almost a two-year process with artists in and out of your studio constantly. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been a great project to work on. You know, everyone's energy is really great. Everyone seems to be doing music for a cause, which uh, which you know there there are people out there that do it, but you don't you don't come across it that often, uh, which is great. Well, you know, I'm going to be straight with you. We're doing some of it for a cause, and of course, others who have you know put their time in, like yourself, and others, you know, they have to be paid, and that's one of the things we would love for you to get into with us in the industry. So, um, Vance, before we get started, we ask that you answer each question, but you know, don't give our audience the answer to everything right away because then they can't get to connect with and hear all the expertise you have. Is that okay with you? Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I almost said Engard again. Sorry about that. So, Zane, you own right. one of the top, uh, top music studios in New York. And well, I don't know if I'd call it the, the top studio, but we're, we're, we're doing our thing. We're, we're, we're uh, you know, we started out independently, obviously. A couple of young kids wanted, had a great idea. Uh, well, no, and Zane, we put our heads together. Zane, we have to stop you because you're giving out too much. We've got, we want to really surprise our audience. So okay, absolutely. Little, sorry, we, sorry. We, we got, uh, no, we're excited too, so don't feel bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, we, so we, we, we consider you, um, and we're going to still say that we consider you one of the top studios in New York and the country. You know? Oh, well, thank and you. You're, you're too kind. <laughs> so we want to know, how did you get started in the music industry? Did you start as a producer? Like, where did your interest come into play as a, a mixer and engineer? Because you're so focused when I watch you. Yeah, I um, you know it was it was a while ago, about uh, I'd say like ten years ago. I, I lived in Australia, and um, I I've kind of always been interested in music, um, but being that I never really played an instrument per se, I didn't I didn't know where, where I fit in, um, and uh, I I just always found myself very technically, uh, you know, that's that's the side I gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I decided to to go to audio school over there. Uh, tried that out, and it was it was great. You know, I went from being someone who didn't have any idea what I wanted to do to someone. Yeah, I, I found I found what I what I liked. I was good at it. Uh, I was a quick learner, and and I enjoyed doing it. Uh, and then that everything's history from then. Uh, just just one thing led to that. Next, uh, I moved over from Australia to uh, Florida to Full Sail. Where I finished my education and then um, did did music business and uh, bachelor's in recording arts, and I moved over to New York, kind of worked around over here, and uh, now we have our own studio, in Soho. That's, 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 that's wonderful, um, Baines. This is Jay. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. Talk to you, Jay. Yeah. How are oh, you? Yeah. So- I'm fine, and I'm a producer, and I'm very excited about you uh, being on the show today. Um, I have a couple of technical questions that I want to ask you, and you can awesome. share sure. with our audience. <laughs> I would like to know what's your console of preference that you're using, and could you tell us a little bit of some of the software, Don's, that you use and some of the plugins that you're using today? Absolutely. Uh, so console-wise, we had a, a, a Neve console in the studio, and but, uh, you know, over time, we figured it was getting used less and less, so we switched to all digital. We're pretty in the box when it comes to you know mixing. Uh, plugin-wise, I you know we're, we're Pro Tools. We're, I'm a I'm a huge Pro Tools nerd. I love Pro Tools, despite what mm-hmm. everyone else says. Um, I, I love it. I think it works. It's straightforward. You know, every every software has its has its fair set uh, set of glitches, right, right. but uh, Pro Tools seems to be the most stable. Um, and and if you know what you're doing, you can pretty much get anything done in it. Plugins wise, we um I personally love 
everything Steven Slate does, all his all his plugins. I, I own all of them. I use them in every mix. Uh, we we ah. used to have dangerous summing um, on on the mixing side, but uh, ever since I got the Slate Virtual Console Collection, um, I pretty much stopped using the dangerous. That's that's all I do. It's it's convenient. It's easy. It's in the box, and it sounds great. You know, uh, we we speed is also a big a big a big factor. You gotta you gotta make sure that you know you can shut down one session, move to the next. You know, artists these days. People come in and they're like, okay, let's pick up this one. All right, spend you know a little bit of time on this. Okay, let's move to that one. Back in the day, switching back and forth for stuff like that would take a while. But you know, here it's at a you know click click of a mouse. You're only limited by how fast your computer goes, and that's really not a problem these days. What, what are you wow. using on your master bus? Wow. What, what, what master? What uh, on your master bus? What are you using on your master bus for your? So so uh, it's output? in the it, it's in the box. Uh, pretty much, we have uh, on 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 uh, in the box. I hit I first hit this the, like I said the Stephen Slate Virtual Console Collection. Then I hit um, one of his tape uh, emulators. It's called VTM, the Virtual Tape uh, Machine. Hit one of those, and then after that, it hits my bus compression, which again I use Slate bus compression. Uh, okay. And you know, um, uh, it's called the VBC Virtual uh, Bus Collection. Uh, I, I think so. And after that, um, on 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 the outside, we have um, a Neve thirty three six nine compressor and the GML EQ. Sweet, sweet, sweet. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, and and a light limiter on the top, just just to, you know remove any peaks if possible. But I tried not to do much of that. We'll leave that to the mastering engineer. Okay. Wow. So you know. Um, what should artists expect when they come into the dual school? Sorry. What should artists expect when they come? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so many artists come across your studio and they think they know exactly how the song should go, or think they know what is a hit. How are you able to determine with that artist to mix the song or work with them from an engineering point of view to have that song work for mass appeal? I think the the thing is when you, when you're an engineer and even if you're recording or mixing, you hear this song from a perspective that that no one else does. You're you're listening. You're, you're sitting right there in the middle between the two speakers, closer to the sound than anyone else is. Whether they're in in the live room, they have the headphones on. It's never really the same. And you can kind of it's like you're sitting with a with a magnifying glass, you know. Um, uh, metaphorically and you can analyze everything you can tell if if something's off time if if it's if it's pitchy if it if the vibe isn't right and you know you kind of take it from there and 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 see see where it goes you you're sitting in and it, it's something that you know comes with time like you know me personally I didn't play any instrument uh like I had said earlier so it it took some time to be able to to tell but now you kind of just you know we're doing it so much you you know what sounds right and what doesn't sound right and there's a like coming back to your question like how do you tell and how do you help them it it's a very fine line and i realize that you know i i've worked with a lot of people where initially you're intimidated you don't know whether you should tell them or not but um i remember one one artist i worked with initially starting out he's like you know if i ever ask you and this is you know uh, one of those um uh it was a, it was a i think it was a atlantic session uh he said if i ever ask you what i sound like and you say good i'm i'm going to be really angry at you because that's not what I'm looking for. I want I want you to critique me. I want to know that I'm with I'm not just working with a yes man. Wow, wow. 
Chris Banks, if, if you, I wanted to know if you had a choice of whatever mixing console you could get, if, you know, brand new, old, vintage, what would be your favorite mixing console and why would it be your favorite mixing console? Uh, personally, I just like the Neves, uh, you know, to, to work on. They're, they're, they're warm sounding. SSLs are great too. Again, you know, it's a lot of people think that it's, it's the console and all. It is to a certain extent, but as long as you have something that you're familiar with and you know what it sounds like and how to get the sounds you're looking for out of it, it, it at the end, they're all just tools. Uh, that's that, that's kind of... Sorry, go ahead. What's the maintenance, what's the, the maintenance on the need that you like? What's the maintenance like? Do you, is it a lot of work to keep that thing working? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 a it's it's a, it's a big job. We've had it recapped. We've there's there's constantly stuff that you know you have to keep working on, which is why you know working digitally is just so much so much quicker. Especially these days, you know, you don't have the the big label budgets that 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 went around in the '90s. That they they blew through all of that. So everything nowadays is a lot more efficient and a lot quicker. So you gotta that that's that's a that's an important factor, and I you know tell that to all all the young engineers that that we meet and all the interns that we have that go on to becoming engineers. Like, growing up, I know, you know, working in the music industry when I started, speed was the most important thing, and you're just trying to get faster and faster, just so you can you know, cope up with 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 the short session times that they have, and uh, stuff like that. And artists want to when they get in, they want to go. They they want to especially you know if you're doing vocal stuff, they they just want to get in the booth and and start laying ideas right away from the minute they walk in, and you have to be ready for that. And when stuff starts, you know, you, you have technical issues or a channel's not working or stuff like that, it, it just slows down the process. That's it's great, sure. though. It's, it's, it's great to do. It's a lot of fun. We all, we all love doing it. But, it, it, you know, it just was a lot of maintenance on our end. Uh, so we just, you know, ended up going digital. Well, it's funny you said you talk about when artists get in, because my next question may sound a little similar, um, Dane, but it's not. I want to know what should artists expect when they come into your studio, into your recording studio, from recording to mixing to mastering when they work with you and your guys. We're we're not a a, a big a big you know commercial studio that way. We 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 we've set up a model where we're you know very you know we want clients to come in feel very comfortable. You know, it's it's all about the vibe with us, and 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 with music, that's such an important part, and it just sounds like you know throwing a word out of there, but it really is important, especially with artists. They're creative people. They're you know when they're when they're in the booth, they're the most vulnerable and insecure. Everyone you know is doesn't know how they're feeling. You gotta you know make sure that the 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 ambience is right for them. They're in the right state of mind, and then that's how you get the best performance out of them. You know, it's it's, it's your job. To get the best out of out of someone, out of out of the person you're working with, the artist, uh, be it be it a, a songwriter, a producer, a, you know, a singer, guitar player, drummer, it's your job to capture the best out of them. So it's it's more than you know pressing a few buttons and 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 turning some knobs. There's there's a whole uh, kind of philosophy and mind frame that you you need to be in. You gotta you know if you've had a bad day. You have to leave all of that at the at the door outside the studio. None of that negativity gets transferred into your sessions. You you gotta like learn how to separate things, and um, I think over over time I've gotten pretty good at doing that. Wow. Well, you know, um, just wow. That's all I can say. Wait, what what are your favorite mastering monitors and mixing monitors? For us, when you make, what's your favorite monitors? 
Uh, we actually, I'm really excited about this, and it's funny, Shasis. Uh, just yesterday, we swapped out our monitors, and uh, we have a new pair of Adams, and I'm, I'm loving them. I, I love the way they sound. They sound great <laughs> in the room. And then we have our trusty NS10s, uh, just, just to, you know, keep things standard as well. Um, I love working, you know, big studio monitors. I've worked on Asperger's uh, for a while at this other studio I worked at. Uh, they're great. They're really loud. So artists like to listen to music really loud. And as an engineer, you, you kind of don't want that. Uh, they get pretty, you know, you get ear fatigue after a while, the way they sound. So I've noticed the, the Griffins, um, I think they have a, a pair up at KMA. Those are, those are great uh, monitors. Easy on the ears, too. Uh, yeah, I have to ask him this question. You said you mentioned NS10s. What do you say about the NS10s? Sorry. This has to do with the NS10s, y'all. This has to do with the NS10s. This is funny. Napkins. I just want to ask him about the napkins. Do you put napkins or tissues over your tweeters on your NS10s? What do you know about that? No, I've never heard that. Is that a thing? That's a technique. It's an old school technique. But that's all. I just wanted to see if you knew anything about it. That's all. No, no, I haven't. I mean, again, I just use them for reference. Also, I, I, I use head, my headphones a lot whenever I want to really dial in, like, you know, the, you know, a specific reverb or a vocal EQ. I have a pair of Sennheiser uh, headphones, uh, the HD650 that I use. I, I love them. Wow. Wow. Well, that, that, that is, that's really cool. Um I'd like to know, um, are you, so this is a very interesting question. You know, you've worked with us on a song, you know, um, Baines, and you've had your guys work with us, and, you know, we're going to be coming back into you uh, shortly, but this is something a lot of people who are artists or people coming into the um, studio don't know. Are you able, so let's say we give you a song, right, and it's at a certain speed, and as the track is at a certain speed, the, the, the artist has sung to the track at a certain speed, okay? It's a slower yep. rate. We want to, we come to you and we say, hey, fans, we really need you to speed up the song without compromising, compromising the artist's voice and also without compromising the track. Are you able to speed up a song with the artist if it has been sung at a slower rate and the tr- track is, a, is at a slower rate? Are you able to so, uh, make the map we, we, I, I was in a session. I was in a session years ago, and I was assisting someone. And I remember the client asking the same question, and, and, and the engineer I was working with, he just turned over and he says, "Yes, we have the technology from uh, uh, the Million Dollar Man uh, back in the day." So yeah, to answer your question, things have gotten a lot better. Uh, again, it, it should be a reasonable amount. You know, a couple of uh, a couple of beats per minute up and down isn't gonna. Uh, destroy anything. Again, you got to make sure you're using the right, the right, the right plugins to do it. Don't just go with the generic stuff because you will get a lot of digital weirdness over there. Uh, but yeah, we we can definitely do that, uh, and we have done it uh, many times. Whether it's whether it's a key change or or a slight tempo change, uh, it's 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 not it's not uh, um, you know it's not gonna totally kill the, the quality of the record. We can do it. Okay, that's good to know. Thank you. Yep. But what what do producers miss when working in a studio with artists? What are some of the things they miss? Uh, pardon. What what do they what do they what? What are some of the things that some producers miss when they're working 
with artists in the studio. Like you, you might say, well, this guy's working with this young producer. He might have missed a couple of points. He could have got more out of them. What are some of the? Give us an example of some things you noticed. I've that actually, a lot of I've, miss. I've had a pretty good experience working with producers and 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 artists. Uh, you know, some people say that you know it's another another person. Everyone's got you know as long as as long as they're on the same page. Uh, I feel that you know it's great having a producer that one it 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 lets me focus on different things like like the the sonic aspect of it and someone else is looking at the you know the pitch and the and and stuff and 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 the performance and stuff like that the producers kind of are like the they oversee everything i guess or in the in the you know in the the actual definition of the word or how it how it's been now it uh, you have your producers these days and then you have your producers that essentially are just beat makers so I've I've worked with both kinds and and some of them are 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 really good they 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 help the artists and they they know what they should sound like and also it's another person who's close to the project that that has a, a you know way in on their opinion they they kind of had an idea in their mind when they started the record and they can kind of either guide the artist towards that way or 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 away from that I think uh, to answer your question, what do they miss? Uh, sometimes just a producer having the freedom to do exactly like whatever they feel like without you know having someone else weighing in on it and you know telling them no, I don't want this or I don't want that. But again, the the, the flip side of that is a producer could get inspiration of the artist and it could go the other way too. Wow! Wow! Um, interesting. I'm learning a lot here. Um, I, this is this is a full open-ended question, and one of our last questions because I know you know you have to get back to your session. I want to ask you what happens from top to bottom in the. Oh no no I'm sorry sorry two more questions after this. What inspires sure. you in this business? What inspires me? Oh, you know when 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 there are days when we have when I have I'm working 20-hour days and barely any sleep. And I'm dragging myself to the studio, and then I, I, the artist walks in, and I hear this record, and he sounds amazing. And just seeing their energy, feeding off them, how excited they are about the project, that kind of does it for me. Uh, it's, it's, it's just the fact that you're doing something that you love doing um, is great. My dad always told me that, you know, just be happy what you're doing, do something that you love doing, and um, take it from there. And things will be good. You 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 enjoy your life, and you'll have a good life. And I I really enjoy what I do. I work with great people. Um, I have an amazing business partner, and we kind of have a great relationship. We we know how to. He does what he does, and I do what I do, and that's how the company has survived all these years, and how we will continue to survive and thrive. So, Benny, what advice would you give to a new artist coming into the industry? When going into the studio with you, uh, there's three things I heard this back when I was um, at college, and it kind of just stuck with me. And I see it play out, you know, and especially you know this this applies a lot more to to, to singers and and the whereas what most of the the music we listen to today is. Um, it's there's your pitch, your timing, and your feel. Now your pitch and timing are, are more on the technical side, and you kind of have to know that and learn that. And it's stuff that we on the engineering end can kind of take care of to a certain extent. I'm not saying you know, uh, not saying that anyone can become a singer that way. But the feeling, the 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 the, the just the emotion that goes 
behind the record, that's that's the artist, that's all them. And if they have the right feeling, if they have the right emotion, and they know how to translate that through their music, uh, that's that's pretty much it. Just believe in what you're doing, and uh, I know it's hard. We've all we've all had uh, had nights where we're you know starting out, no sleep, no pay. Um, it's hard. It's hard. Just stick with it. Stick with it and give it give it your best. I know a lot of people that uh, growing up started with me aren't doing this anymore because they they just you know it, they had other things or they had other responsibilities and couldn't couldn't keep with it, uh, which is fine too. You know, if you if you can't do it, if it's not for you, then then uh, it's good to to get out when when you still can. Well, this is the last question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, James. Sorry. No, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, if, if you, we'd like you to finish your thoughts so that people can hear what yeah, you're Yeah, I was hearing. just saying, but but on the flip side, you know, it, it is very rewarding when you, you know, when you hear your first record on the radio the first time you do. And it, it's, it, it's a very fulfilling feeling. Well, we really thank you. And this is our last question. It kind of wraps up everything. Um, you know, for for young people who, you know, there's a lot of young people that want to get into this industry, and you are the key person you know, so to speak, that has it happen because even though you get a record label deal and all that stuff, what this is a question we need to know for young people, older, younger, whatever. What happens from top to bottom in the mixing and mastering and song process? Can you share that with people so they absolutely? So the way it you know traditionally works is um, you either have a band working together and they come up with a song, or if it's pop or urban, where a producer makes a song. Uh, either you know with the, the way the big labels work is they have a bunch of records they they or they have a a writer involved somewhere and a producer who you know does the instrumental side of it and the artist and everyone kind of works together write the song we we end up tracking it um, it gets you know the label whether the you know this this is again this can take months it can take years it can take days it just depends on project to project. Uh, when you finally, when they finalize the track list, then the mix engineer would get sent. Uh, the producer would send out the broken down stems of the instrumental, we call them, or if it's a you know recorded uh, a band, then they'd have that already in the project. And um, if, if if I'm the mastering engineer, if it's coming to me, or if I have to send it to someone else, to uh, you know a lot of labels use guys out in LA that have been doing this for a while. Are great, we send them the stuff, or again, it comes to me. We sit down, just listen to the record through, and um, without anything, kind of make notes, you know, because you're never going to get your first listen again. The first time when you first hear a record, you make your, you know, your initial first opinion or the first impression it makes on you. Uh, kind of jot that down, see what things you think could stand out, and um, you know, take it from there. There's no fixed way, you know, you don't always start with the drums first, you don't always start with the vocals, you know, there's no, it's just what you feel is different from record to record. Uh, on a, on a, on normally I would go, you know, drums and bass, get a little groove going, get the instruments and vocals in, and, you know, you kind of keep working from there. Then we have, you know, we send them a mix, we send two versions, one's a limited version and one's the, you know, that's, that's just the, I guess, for approval. And after that, when I send stuff for mastering, it's a, a different mix where I take off any, you know, I'd send one with what I have on my bus compression, one limited one is what I was hearing, and one without anything. And I let 
the mastering engineer decide, and then you know they'll come up with a few options, uh, send it to the the label and or the artist, or the producer, everyone. You know, there are multiple steps of approval in the process, and once that done, once that's done, then it I you know either sits on a shelf or it gets a date and it comes out. I was going to say CDs get pressed, but you know that doesn't really happen much anymore. Well, I do have one question on this mastering process. We're, this is this. Uh, I should have been more clear, and I'm sorry, Baines. We also want to know for the independent. You know, like you know, um, Jay may work with a label, you may work with an independent. We're talking about independent artists who come to you, and they want to go through the mixing and mastering process. What would that process be for them to get their best product out if they don't? Have so a label we we them? we do a lot of that too with independents, and uh, we will do uh, basic digital mastering where it's loud, everything is even. The, the the project sounds consistent. It's coherent with each other. Uh, we'll definitely you know help out with that. Again, the the projects that you know get sent to mastering engineers usually are artists that that you know it's it's not just uh, an EP or a mixtape. It's a real album that they're working on, uh, and they you know it gets sent off there and they take it from there. Got it. Well, thank you yeah. so much for your time and bands. We'd love to have you uh, later in the year if that's okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. It was great talking to you all. And so can you tell people where they can find you at so that people will, you know, people who would like to, to utilize your services, they can Absolutely. Really so we're, we're Crosby Collective Studios. We're located in Soho on Crosby and Spring. Uh, we have three studios down there. The website's CrosbyCollective.com. Uh, come and check us out. All right. Well, Dane, thank you so much. And thank, we look thank forward you, Giala. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, we look forward to having our, have our project with you know finished with you, which actually we have our meeting tomorrow. So I'm really looking forward, and um, Baines, keep up the good work. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Well, Jay, I think we had a fantastic show today. Oh, yes, very interesting, very informative, and just experts on every topic. I mean, you can't you can't get any better. I mean, these are two men at the top of their game. I mean, this is like you don't, you just don't get this, you know. So you know, these are some of the relationships that Jay and I have had over the years. These are people who have supported us. We want to say a hi out there to Finestro Robert, who's one of the producers on our um, on the song that we created together. Um, and we want to thank him for like bringing veins to us. You know, we don't. One of the things Jay and I don't do is we don't take it as you know a relationship is like just about us. It you know it's it's a team effort. And without you know uh, Phineas Robert, also known as Finestro, we wouldn't have this. So Jay, it's been real today. So I think uh, uh, our artists and our young people got some real lessons today. Yes, they did. Uh, very exciting. Can't wait till next week. Oh yeah, this is just getting started. So. Everybody tune in next week because it's going to be off the chain. Thank you.